Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and guess what? I'm by myself today, Charlie, jetting off to, I don't even know where, Colorado, something like that. Whatever, who cares? I got a few stories here we're going to talk about, prepared a few statements to say, but I'm going to play a couple videos. Uh, we're going to go over some of the Silicon Valley bank collapse and some of the things going on with the broader uh, banking system and the risk with that. And some of Janet Yellen's se Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's comments yesterday that I find to be very concerning. Also, we've got some new information on the origins of the COVID pandemic, the Atlantic, New York Times, all saying, guess what? It came from an animal, some kind of thing called a raccoon dog, which I didn't know was a real thing. Turns out it is. And then I want to play a clip from Sam Harris's interview on the uh, on Lex Friedman's podcast talking about vaccine hesitancy. So if you're ready to do that, then then that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through those three things. I want to tell you guys to go to joingmail.com, hang out with the people and the Fed Haters Club, or you can go to godhatesfeds.com and get yourself a nice God Hates Feds shirt or some of the other merch that's on there. So it's now been a week since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. The uh, That news of that bank caused fear throughout the entire market. Everyone was scared of this impending financial collapse. While some of the fear was warranted, some of it also was not. Much of the panic spread online came from people who had money or friends who had financial interests at Silicon Valley Bank. Not all of it, but some of it did. The bank itself was a major hub for thousands of new green energy startups. The bank was heavily invested in ESG, seemed to be more concerned with DEI than risk management. But the reason that I say that fear could have been unwarranted was that SVB was kind of an outlier. They, they didn't have enough liquid assets to cover their deposits. And while this feels like 2008 all over again, it's actually, it's actually very different. It's not quite what happened in 2008. Those bank failures are caused by loan defaults going through the roof. The bank, this bank failure was caused by a bank that was over-invested in assets that are traditionally considered to be very safe, U.S. Treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities. When it was clear that inflation, so how did this happen? I was, I was going to say, how, how did this happen? So when it was clear that the inflation that we had last year, the year before, was not in fact transitory, as Fed Chair Jerome Powell suggested over and over again, the Fed, as they should have, began to increase rates. The increased rates devalued the bonds that banks like SVB were already holding, so once again, this was not caused by cascading defaults in loans. It was caused by the bank's assets being rapidly devalued by inflation. I say inflation because the inflation we had led to the Fed raising rates, which devalued the uh, assets that SVB had. So when the news finally got out that the depositors could be in trouble at the bank, those depositors started withdrawing their money, and this led to a classic bank run. But the FDIC stepped in to shore up the depositors. They guaranteed all deposits rather than the 250,000 
$1,000 legally covered by FDIC insurance. This move was unusual by the FDC, but we were assured that it was imperative to prevent contagion. I like the use of the word contagion, that pandemic-type description that they likely chose to help spread fear. Was it truly a systemic risk that could have caused a worldwide run on the banks? It's possible, but we'll never know. It's also possible that fear was overspread in order to bail out the companies and individuals that held money at SVB. One individual that would have been severely affected by a loss of all deposits above 250K was none other than California Governor Gavin Newsom. According to The Intercept, Newsom praised the Biden administration's decision to intervene on behalf of SVB's clients, saying the White House, quote, acted swiftly and decisively to protect the American economy and strengthen public confidence in our banking system. In this Intercept article, they also talk about Cade, Odette, and Plump Jack, three wineries owned by Newsom, are listed as clients of SVB on the bank's website. Newsom also maintained personal accounts at SVB for years, according to a longtime former employee of Newsom's who handled his finances. Newsom, who I think is likely a future presidential candidate, also didn't mention that his wife, Jennifer Siebel's professional ties to the bank were uh, quite large. In 2021, SVB gave $100,000 to the charity founded by his wife, the California Partners Project. At the request of Newsom, John China, president of SVB Capital and responsible for SVB's funds, funds management, is himself a founding member of the California Partners Project Board of Directors. Newsom said on Monday of this week that he'd been in close contact with the administration about Silicon Valley Bank. Quote, over the last 48 hours, I've been in touch with the highest levels of leadership at the White House and the Treasury. So he was working hard to let them know how important it was that they secured these deposits. The Washington Times reported that, quote, only one member of SVB's board of directors, Tom King, had a career in the financial industry. The others were just major campaign donors to Hillary Clinton and Representative Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats. Bank director Garen Staglin is a winery owner in California who donated $54,000 to Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016. Director Kate Mitchell is a venture capitalist who also donated heavily to Mrs. Clinton's presidential campaign. SVB donated more than $73 million to the Black Lives Matter movement and other social justice causes, according to online data first reported by The Federalist. So I wanted to say that, once again, this failure was not a... It's not a result of a big batch of ESG... DEI loans that went sour. I don't think it's useful to blame their political investments for the bank's demise, but I do believe we can blame their political investments for the bank's bailout. I do think that might be why they were considered a systemic risk if their depositors were not covered. Another egregious example of favoritism came from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, when SVB's bailout was announced, it was understood that all bank deposits were safe. That might have been implied to stave off a major bank run, but it was never true, meaning that all bank deposits were safe. So 
So let's listen to this exchange that occurred between Yellen and Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma. Will the deposits in every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of their size, be fully insured now? Are they fully recovered? Every bank, every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of the size of the deposit, will they get the same treatment that SVBP just got or Signature Bank just got? A bank only gets that treatment if a majority of the FDIC board, a supermajority, a supermajority of the Fed board, and I, in consultation with the president, determine that the failure to protect uninsured depositors would create systemic risk and significant economic and financial consequences. So what is and your plan? that determination. Right. right. So, so what is your banks. plan to keep large depositors from moving their funds out of community banks into the big banks? We have seen the mergers of banks over the past decade. I'm concerned you're about to accelerate that by encouraging anyone who has a large deposit in a community bank to say, we're not going to make you whole. But if you go to one of our preferred banks, we will make you whole at that point. Um, look, I mean, we're, that's certainly not something that we're encouraging. That is happening right now. That is happening because depositors are concerned about the bank failures that have happened and whether or not other banks could also um, no, it, it, it's happening and because it's, you're fully insured no matter what the amount is. If you're in a big bank, you're not fully insured if you're in a community bank. Well, you're not fully insured. and You, you big, were at Signature, the, and the it, big, was, it just barely met that threshold. You were at Signature. Well, we felt that there was a serious risk of contagion that could have brought down and triggered runs on many banks um, and that's something, given that our judgment is... All right, you get the idea. So here's the deal. While people on the left in the Biden administration, they portray themselves as heroes of the little guy, they just signed off on the destruction of your local bank, of the community banks. Remember those evil big banks that we're all supposed to hate? Yellen and, and Biden, and I'm just saying the administration, are the best thing to ever happen to them. The message is very clear, if you didn't hear it there. If you have a successful business or a large deposit and you're using the community bank, withdraw your money now and give it to J.P. Morgan. CNN reported that in the past week, Citibank has been speeding up account openings across retail banking, small business lending, and wealth management. Bank of America has raked in more than $15 billion in new deposits in the span of just a few days. That's from Bloomberg. And then, in addition to all that, while the Fed has been reducing liquidity, that's quantitative easing, tightening, sorry, that's a quantitative tightening in the market to help fight inflation, they just added half of that reduced amount back to their balance sheets in only a week by providing liquidity backstops to banks that are in need. And from Bloomberg, um, J.P. Morgan Chase is estimating that the additional funding from the Fed, their new bank backstop program, could add up to $2 trillion, up to $2 trillion 
in new liquidity. So coming up next, we're going to talk about the pandemic origin, and then we're going to play a clip from Sam Harris on Lex Friedman's podcast and vaccine hesitancy. Uh, but first, I want to tell you guys that this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process. I don't think I'm all the way there yet, but I'm getting close. But we're always growing and changing. One thing I've learned a lot about is self-awareness and then learning how to understand situations from different points of view. So putting yourself in someone else's shoes and understanding why or how they feel the way they do about something. Uh, sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way that we do in specific situations until we talk through it with people and figure out why it is that that's triggering whatever that feeling is. And that that's important, especially for the things that we talk about every day. Well, BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey to self-discovery from wherever you are. Now, I've used therapy in the past. Charlie is still using BetterHelp on a weekly basis, I believe. And I can tell you, it really did help. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com GML today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot G-M-L. So in other news... The Atlantic and the New York Times just broke the story that Fauci has been waiting for. Although I, I don't think it's going to quite get us there. But from the New York Times, they say an international team of virus experts said Thursday that they found genetic data from a market in Wuhan, China, linking the coronavirus with raccoon dogs. I looked up these raccoon dogs and it really does look like it's half raccoon, half dog. Don't tell my wife about it. We'll be feeding the strays 24-7. Adding evidence to the case that the pandemic... That stuff wasn't in the article, by the way. Adding evidence to the case that the pandemic could have been ignited by an infected animal that was being dealt through the illegal wildlife trade. The genetic data was drawn from swabs taken from in and around the seafood wholesale market starting in January 2020. By then, the animals had been cleared out, but researchers swabbed walls, floors, metal cages, and carts, often used for transporting the animals. In samples that came back positive for the coronavirus, the international research team found genetic material belonging to animals, including large amounts that were a match for the raccoon dog, three scientists involved in the analysis said. The mix of genetic material from the virus and the animal this is still in the article. The mix of material from the virus and the animal does not prove that the raccoon dog itself was infected. And even if a raccoon dog had been infected, it would not be clear that the animal spread the virus to people. Another animal could have passed the virus to people or someone infected with the virus could have spread the virus to a raccoon dog if raccoon dog was in fact infected. So to be clear, they swabbed walls and floors, not animals. Some swabs that came back positive for coronavirus also came back positive for raccoon dog DNA, thus proving 
that the area swabbed had once been touched by a rac raccoon dog and by the virus. Not proving that the raccoon dog was infected by the virus. The piece still made clear that even if the dog was infected, it wouldn't be proof of animal origin. So this is being sold, and if you look on Twitter, and especially on comments from New York Times or The Atlantic or whatever, it's being sold as proof of natural animal origin for the virus, but it's definitely not. It's weak. It's desperate. It reeks of some type of study that Fauci paid for, although I'm not, I'm not alleging that. I'm just saying that's what it feels like. And oddly, it comes right after departments in the U.S. government admitted themselves that the most likely origin was a lab leak. So this is convenient timing for this to happen. And like him or not, John Stewart already nailed this point. The statistical likelihood of a novel coronavirus originating from animals first being discovered down the street from a lab that was admittedly working on coronaviruses is as close to 0% as we can get. So one last thing, and also having to do with COVID, uh, Sam Harris was recently on with Lex Friedman. I haven't listened to the interview, which is like four hours long. So I'm not going to listen to it either. But I have seen this clip going around. You were skeptical, or you were against skepticism of the safety and e efficacy of the vaccine. So people who get nervous about the vaccine, but don't fall into the usual anti-vax camp, which I think there was a significant yeah, yeah, there was. enough number. Oh, yeah. They're asking, they're getting nervous. I mean, I <laughs> especially after the war in Af Afghanistan and Iraq, I too was nervous about anything where a lot of money could be made. The, the sense was that you weren't open enough to the skepticism. I understand that people have that sense. I'll tell you how I thought about it and think about it. One, again, it was a moving target. So there was a point in the timeline where it was totally rational to expect that the vaccines were were both working, but, but, but both they were they were reasonably safe, and that and that COVID was reasonably dangerous, and that the trade-off for basically everyone was it was rational to get vaccinated, given how many, given the level of testing and how many people had been vaccinated before you given what we were seeing with COVID, right? At, there was a period where that forced choice, where it, it was just obviously reasonable to get vaccinated, in, especially because there was every reason to expect that while it wasn't a perfectly sterilizing vaccine, it was going to knock down transmission a lot, and that matters. And so it wasn't just a personal choice. You were actually being a good citizen. And there was a period of time when it was thought that the vaccine could stop transmission. Yes. And so again, all of this has, has begun to shift. Um, I don't think it has shifted as much as Brett Weinstein thinks it's shifted. But yes, there are safety concerns around the mRNA vaccines, f especially for young men, right? As, as far as I know, that's the, that's the purview of, the, of, of actual heightened concern. Um, but also, there's there's now there's a lot of natural immunity out there. A lot of basically everyone who was who's going to get vaccinated has gotten vaccinated. The virus has evolved to the point in in, in this context where it seems less 
dangerous. You know, again, I don't. I, I, I'm going more on on the seemings than on on research that I've done at the at this point. But I'm certainly less worried about getting COVID. I've had it once. I've been vaccinated. I've like it's like. So you ask me now, how do I feel about getting the next booster? I don't know that I'm going to get the next booster, right? So, so I, I was somebody who was waiting in line at four in the morning, you know, uh, hoping to get get a some overflow vaccine when it was first available. And I that was at that point, given what we knew, or given what I thought I knew based on the best sources I could consult and based on, you know, based on anecdotes that were too vivid to ignore, you know, both data and and personal experience. Um, it was totally rational for me to to want to get that vaccine as as soon as I could, and now I think it's totally rational for me to to do a a, a different kind of cost benefit analysis and wonder, listen, do I really need to get a booster, right? You know, like how many of the how many of these boosters am I going to get for the rest of my life, really, um, and how safe is uh, the mRNA vaccine for a man of my age, right? And do I need to be worried about myocarditis for you know? All of that is completely rational to talk about now. All of the things that people were talking about in 2021 were irrational to talk about. When we had hardly any knowledge of what the vaccine was actually going to do or what type of safety trials it had actually been put through. And we hadn't seen a, a, a vaccine pop up this quick before either. It was irrational to question any of those things, even when we could see that the mortality rate was not what was being sold at the beginning. The thing with Sam Harris is he's clearly a very smart guy, but the problem is that he knows it and he filters all of his emotional inklings through the I'm smarter than you or I'm a really smart guy filter. So he's incapable of stepping back and realizing that he himself is currently doing what the people he's criticizing were doing before him. Right now, the expert opinion, the science, those in charge, someone like Fauci or whoever took his place, they say that he needs to keep getting his COVID boosters for forever. And now, using the logic that he had early in the pandemic, why should he question what experts are still telling him to do. If he were to talk to any of the same people that he said you could not question in 2020, 2021, and still now, if he were to talk to any of those people, they would say, oh yeah, yeah, you need to go get your booster right now. But now he's saying that it's perfectly rational to not do it because now he's got more information. His assertion is that when people were afraid of the risks in 2021, they were wrong, even though many of them turned out to be right. They were just right, I guess, for the wrong reasons. In fact, he now aligns with their original position. But like I said, his original position was to follow whatever the experts told us to do. Unfortunately, he might be too smart and so smart that he will not be able to realize his own embarrassing hypocrisy right now. I don't think he realizes how much of a self-own this conversation actually was. He probably never will. So that's all I've got for today. I know that's a quick episode, but it's Friday. 
going to get on with the weekend. Thank you for coming and hanging out. Share the show with your friends. Share it on social media. I see people doing that. That's great. That helps us. Uh, hit like, subscribe, follow, all that stuff. You know what the algorithms want you to do. Leave ratings and reviews. Those things truly do help. So if you do all of those things, and I mean all of them, we'll be back on Monday, or at least I will. Charlie be back on Tuesday. We'll be back next week. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.